Hey, what's up? This is Psychotronicast coming to you from the bunker. That's right, I'm back in the bunker. It's Alec Berg, and the talent via satellite is Derek Estes. You can and you should subscribe to us on the social media platforms, specifically Instagram, because that's the only one we pay attention to. Uh, Follow us on whatever podcast platform you found us on, or maybe find us on one. How about that? Or you just go to our website, psychotronicast.com. Write to us, psychotronicast at gmail.com. And hey, we have a Patreon. $5 a month gets you an extra podcast every time we post a podcast. But without further ado, Derek, it's a new series. What is it? What the fuck are you getting us into? Well, so um, the theme right now is yuppie nightmares. Um, and there's kind of a, a group of little movies from the uh, the 80s that all kind of deal with, you know, kind of a lot of square yuppies that just end up encountering, you know, just fucked up shit and just crazy people. So uh, to start things off, we're going to do uh, Susan Seidelman's 1985, Desperately Seeking Susan, uh, which I think kind of sets up a lot of things and has a lot of the, the ingredients that are going to kind of... Uh, weave through the other movies we're also going to do. Absolutely, we, we, which we'll get to the cast in a moment. But this is a movie i never seen up until an hour ago. Uh, awesome. But I keep, you know, I've heard about it my whole life, like Desperately Seeking Susan, that movie title, first of all, fantastic, but also it's been like an occurrence in my life here and there. I don't know how many times I've heard the th- words Desperately Seeking Susan in my life, but I don't know anybody that's seen it besides you. And I've never <laughs> seen it myself, so I'm like, how has this been floating around the cosmos forever? It's just, just like, obviously it's a cult classic, uh, but why has this movie lingered on in my head? I don't know. Besides Madonna. Or is it only yeah. Madonna? Is it only, oh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of like crazy stuff going on in this movie because it's kind of, you know, you have like Madonna and that's obviously why a lot of people go, you know, know this movie and remember it. Um, and especially it's like kind of that first you know, that first era of Madonna, you know, this is like 85. So it's kind of like her first two albums have come out. Um, but she's still kind of like rough around the edges and kind of like that, you know, kind of hipster New York girl, uh, which that's why I want to, I want to begin with East village, Madonna, the hottest Madonna there has been. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I want, I will take that Madonna over any other phase of Madonna in her career ever. And this movie like solidifies it. She is. I've seen chicks try to pull off like kind of the look she's going for here and there throughout my life, and no, nobody even comes close. Madonna is like bow down to greatness. <laughs> no, totally. Nobody eats yeah, a cheese puff and like is her. That thing where yeah, you you can't help but think of all the people you've seen like kind of try to you know work that look or get that, and then she just like kills it. It's just like that crazy star power. Oh. Oh, what's up? Oh, I don't know. I'm getting weird. Oh, that's me. I'm, I'm, I wrote my notes from the movie on my phone, so I'm, I'm, deleting, <laughs> I'm deleting my notes from my phone so it's easier for me to navigate what else I need to talk about. So you're going to hear tapping every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing but, nothing but class here at Psychotronic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, nothing but like the highest grade everything. So <laughs> that's what we're working with here. And I didn't know the premise of this movie, anything. Um, but the born identity doesn't have shit on this. 
<laughs> I didn't know this was like an amnesia, where am I, who am I vehicle. Like, oh, yeah. It happens like 20 minutes in, and I'm like, wait, what? That's what this movie is? <laughs> yeah. Like, I thought it was like kind of going to be like, maybe it's because of all these names and all like the cult classics that have come out in the 80s where you're like, all right, A Fish Called Wanda, Desperately Seeking Susan, Mystic Pizza, like all these things I'm like just molding into one movie, but they're all so different from each other. But they just oh, yeah. all have this like star catapult vehicle for like uh, female whoever. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Anywho, uh, absolutely. I love the beginning of this film where they. It, oh yeah. They're, they're at the hair salon, and I wanted to bring up that you once upon a time worked in a hair salon, and what do you think about that opening montage or that opening sequence? Well, it's funny. Like there wasn't a whole other remind me of you know, my the salon I worked in, but what it did remind me of is even like the beginning of uh, using It's In His Kiss during the opening scene. It kind of even, though in a very different way, reminded me of the opening of uh, Mean Streets. Just like that kind of like really good, like just getting everything just started off with a really great um, 60s pop song. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, yeah, I, I loved all that. And I also love seeing Laurie Metcalf too, like really young. It's probably the earliest thing I've seen her in. Yeah, me too. Um, it took a minute to recognize that it was her because of all of her makeup and then her youth. But I'm like, oh, yeah. holy shit, that's Roseanne's sister. But also, she's been in so much shit. She was in a show about nurses on HBO that my wife and I really liked. Uh, she was a nurse. and Or she is a nurse, my wife. And um, she was obviously Lady Bird's mother in Lady Bird. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's been in a bunch of things. But anything that she's in, she just hits it out of the park. And she's just like full. She's like a firecracker. And just oh like, yeah, she really should be in more stuff. Mm-hmm. She really like tells it how it is. You know, she calls yeah. bullshit better than anybody, and just like a loud mouth, but in a good way. I also wanted to like just go off of the cameos in this movie, which is insane. Oh, there's a ton. Yeah. So, so if you caught the street hustler, uh, you know, a quarter of the way through a movie where Rosanna Arquette like knocks over his stand, that was Bubbles from The Wire. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I looked it That's up so just funny. to make sure. So that was Bubbles from the Wire. Obviously, Richard Hell from the from the the Richard, yeah, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Yeah, the Voidoids. I was gonna say the Voids. That's Julian Casablanca's side project. Oh um, yeah, you've got Will Patton playing the blonde creep. Um, he's yeah. He's in gonna be in another movie that we'll cover, uh, and he's in the reboot of Halloween. He was in Armageddon. A bunch of a bunch of action shit from the nineties. You got Aiden Quinn, who's in another movie we'll cover later on. Uh, yeah. We've got Stephen Wright, the Boston comic, who's basically yeah. the original Mitch Hedberg. Uh, you got John Turturro. Yep. Uh, you have, which is like the part where I was like, yeah, and it's basically because I recently watched a documentary, but you got the three identical brothers. And if anybody's seen that documentary oh, yeah. that came out in 2018, you're like, holy shit, it's the Three Identical Brothers, or Three Identical yeah. Strangers, or whatever. So if you haven't seen Three Identical Strangers, like, watch it, and then watch this, and you'll be like, oh shit, and it's pretty cool. Um, the music's another really great thing about it. Well, you, I'll say some of the other cameos, because you also have people that are also going to come um, back, or you have Rockets Red Glare, um, who is like one of those, um, like, scenesters... In, he was like also like a drug dealer in New York in the sixties, but he's also in a bunch of the Jim Jarmusch movies. Like he's in Down by Law, um, oh. as is um, John Lurie makes a cameo. He plays a saxophone in that scene when they're like having a little date. Um, and then you also have uh, Richard Edson, and both of them had just gotten out of uh, 
um, Strangers in Paradise, Jim Jarmusch's movie, kind of set in the kind of same area around the same time. Um, but yeah, you just have like all of these people that they're constantly making these little like, you know, little walk-in cameos or they have uh, little parts. But it's funny because, yes, yeah, some of these people are going to keep popping up. Mm-hmm. And then New York crew, which we'll cover more as the series goes on, is like such hot shit. Like what a cool crew to be like rolling with where it's like, oh, my friend Jen is shooting this movie I'm going to be in. And then like, oh, Martin is doing some like on location <laughs> thing. In the pro- and then we're going and you're like, what? It's like, come on. Like. Can I please go to this New York? I mean, I say that all the time. Like, oh, yeah. We just watched a movie with Harry Belafonte from 1959. And you're like, can I please go to this bar in Harlem in 1959? And you're just, <laughs> just, take <laughs> me to any, just take me to any New York. But if I was going to go to any New York, you've mentioned it before, but that late 70s, early 80s period is just like, oh, yeah. Booyah. <laughs> it's just so great because you kind of have that cool mix of like the different, you know, you still have some of those like old cats that have been around, you know, since whatever, since the forties or fifties. And then you also have like all of these kind of the new wave and no wave and, um, you know, just all of those, those people. It's so cool. This movie is really great. Like her previous movie, uh, since settlement, uh, had made smithereens right before this. And that was kind of what got her noticed. And that movie too, it's, it's kind of like, um, uh, watching like the driller killer, you know, where it's like this time capsule, this time and place. And you get to see things that you, you know, you've heard about or that, you know, unless you were there, you, you hadn't seen. Um, so it's a really great time capsule mm-hmm. for a lot of those, those reasons. Um, but yeah, and this movie is cool too, because it has, um, you know, starting up the theme as far as, uh, the yuppie nightmare theme, you have uh, Rosanna Arquette's character. Um, her name is Roberta Glass, and you see her. You see her in the, the hair salon with her sister-in-law, and you kind of get this idea of this this world that she's living in. It's this very, um, you know, very pastel and very kind of bland and uh, and just vapid. Uh, but then she's really fascinated by this romance and the personal ads, uh, which I love a lot of the way the personal ads, you know, work in this movie, uh, where it's, you know, it's like everyone's reading them. It's almost like, you know, the social media of, you know, 1985. Yeah. Um, you just put something up and everyone knows everyone's business. What was that newspaper, uh, dear Abby? Oh, well, you did the, the, uh, the advice column. Yeah. So I was like, that's the only thing I can relate to with newspaper where like people would mention like Dear Abby columns. And I'm like, oh, this is oh, like yeah. the personal ads in like the New York Post or just like the Dear Abby of this movie. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember like some of them, you know, I mean, that was where I all you always look for like misconnections. Yeah. So stuff before Craigslist got big. Yeah. You know, you just see like, oh, we crossed each other on the street or, you know, you delivered my pizza. Which was their connection? I'm sure you've heard this story, but true story. Like my old roommate, we used to read those all the time. Those misconnections here in Portland, and he actually hooked up with a girl because of misconnections. Where it was like, you were the 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 hipster guy working produce at the Fred Meyer in the Hollywood District, wearing that red flannel and blah blah blah. And he was like, oh shit, that's me. And then he like <laughs> had her thing and got it, and then she ended up being like this like super psychedelic stripper girl from Portland. And then they had a little fling through the summer, but it's like totally worked out. Well, I mean, it didn't work out. They don't talk anymore. And it like exploded. <laughs> like 
Like they totally met. Yeah, like Nagasaki, but whatever. <laughs> At least that misconnection. <laughs> the misconnection does work if you work it. It's kind of like AA. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry to no, get sidetracked. Just, you know, when winners are like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go with this. It, there's nowhere um, to go with this. But you do. She ends up following the the story uh, between this couple, mostly about Susan, and then. I think his handle in the uh, the ads is like Blackie, but he's like you know they'll say you know desperately seeking Susan and you know where we're gonna meet up, and she decides that she's gonna go, um, you know she sees they're gonna meet up at Battery Park and she decides to kind of go there on her day running errands. Um, and you've already seen like she has this like birthday party in her her house and her husband is he sells spas and tubs. And he's just really excited to show off this new commercial going on. Um, and it's just like, just really depressing. Like everyone in this whole, this whole crew is just so bland and so boring. And so you can totally see why she gets so excited about, you know, all this exciting stuff happening to these, you know, people living this romantic life in New York. Um, yeah. But then meanwhile, you also have uh, Susan Madonna who she wakes up, she like gets up in this, you know, Atlantic City, you know, hotel, getting like her room service. And then Richard Hell is in bed. And then she decides just to like take off and just, you know, rob, you know, rob him, you know, take a hundred bucks out of his wallet and just steal some earrings. And, you know, she like just takes off and then comes into the city and puts everything in the locker. And she has this crazy jacket on uh that has this you know it's like the the pyramid with the eye on it mm-hmm. and it's this crazy chance of like trading it into this like really awesome vintage shop and i love that shop because it just reminds me of so many of the places that i used to love going i mean now there are still a few around but ditto um there's a handful yeah. in uh hollywood that i used to always go to in west la in the early 2000s that's where like i got my entire wardrobe from <laughs> it was the best so great nothing's better than that like i know I would try thrift store shopping and doing like the Rose Bowl swap meet in Pasadena and going out to like Victorville or like wherever. But like, you know, people thought it was like cheater version to like go to actual vintage shops, like somebody that already picked it out of a pile and then put it in their showroom. But I'm like, whatever. Like, this is the cream of the crop. I don't got time to sift through all kinds of shit. Like, just let's cut to the chase. Just give me the goods. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that shit. Um, yeah, it's just so great. And she decides she ends up trading the jacket for this pair of boots. Mm-hmm. Um, but meanwhile, in the pocket, she's left this, uh, you know, the, the key to the locker that has her all of her shit in it and the money. And, you know, Roberta, who's like followed her to this meetup, um, you know, follows her into the, the vintage shop. And then she buys the jacket to be her little like talisman for this, you know, romantic life that she, she wants. It's kind of even like, you know, uh, Mad Men when Betty ends up getting that chaise lounge, you know, oh this my kind God, of bored housewife who like, you know, has to have this thing that signifies, you know, romance in her life, you know? Mm, okay. I just want to talk about that jacket really quick. Would you believe me if I said that that jacket sold for a hundred thousand dollars at auction in 2014? Oh my God. I mean, I believe it. Okay, well, you shouldn't. I want to know who has it. You shouldn't because I'm lying because it actually sold for $225,000. Oh, my God. Some son of a bitch or daughter of a bitch or whatever bought that jacket for a quarter of a million dollars. 
That's crazy. Is it like, is it just a private collector? Is it like in some... All it says is you know, like, the iconic... Oh, whoops. Shit. The iconic jacket that Madonna and Rosanna Arquette wore in the film was sold at a Hollywood auction in November 2014 for approximately $225,000. Jesus. One of the earrings worn by them was fetched for 34000 So one of the earrings, the whole point of this whole movie, I guess you can say, is yeah. $34,000 a pop. People have too much That's money. Crazy. People have too much money. I know. Anyway, sorry. Though at this point, too, I mean, those are like items that are totally, you know, like they'd be like museum pieces, you know, where mm-hmm. to be like, you know, Ruby Slippers or, you know, Dorothy Slippers and the Wizard of Oz where. Well, is know, it like, though? Is it Dorothy Slipper? This is Desperately Seeking Susan. This wasn't like. But it is Madonna. It is Madonna. True. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I, that totally doesn't surprise me at all. Madonna's 61 now. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's crazy yep. to me. Like I remember all, when she turned fifty. We're all getting there. We, I know. Nothing reminds you of your own mortality than watching. That's what kind of reminded me of this too. Was like watching Roseanne Arquette and Madonna, and they're so like young and skinny, and all oh, that. Yeah. And you're just like, oh shit! Like I'm not even that young anymore. Fuck. <laughs> like it's like whatever. I'm 33, so I'm just like, oh, like I'm like. You know, I, I think you're not young anymore when you turn 30. So I'm like just starting to realize I'm not young anymore. <laughs> and, and Desperately Seeking Susan is like a big wake up call for that. Let me tell you. I know. They're all so young. They're all so young. And they're just like, you know, it well, it's kind of like that was like kind of a trope in the 80s where like the beginning of Cobra, that Sylvester Stallone movie, uh, he's just he like wakes up. And there's just like a pile of like pizza boxes and cheeseburger wrappers, but he's got like a six pack. And you're like, oh, yeah. And you're like, what? It's like, he wouldn't eat that. But it's like Madonna's just like cheese puffs and cheeseburger wrappers and pizza boxes. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, that's funny. Chips Ahoy. Yeah. And you're like, all right. Oh, let's talk about just really quick. I don't know. I'll let you have the floor again. But oh, yeah, the, go for it. The, how are you saying? Like, oh, everything's blah, everything's bland. Like, their house is just too white. Like, white in color, not in skin color. Well, I guess in that, too. Yeah. But did you notice that giant Sunday framed picture oh. in their kitchen? It's amazing. Love it. Yeah, it's so great. It, I, was like, I was like, whoa. Like, what's that doing in here? Well, I love that, too, how she's in, you know, just kind of bummed out she's sitting in the kitchen just eating the birthday cake and then just watching Hitchcock's Rebecca and there's that giant Sunday behind her oh uh, okay so yeah the movies that play in the background in this film do you happen to know them all besides the because I was like oh what movie is that what movie is that I, like, I didn't no know. I don't know like the ones that like when uh, you go to the actual theater yeah yeah well and that's like the thing you have uh, yeah I mean we'll, yeah we'll get to the, the main uh, male character, I guess, will come into the uh, the romantic lead. Des, he's a projectionist in a Chinatown, or like you know, grindhouse theater. Mm. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, to, to get to that vintage shop again for a second. Oh yeah. yeah. It was open until 2009 until its rent got tripled, and then they had to shut their doors for good. It was in the East Village. Oh, that's awesome. So it lasted a little. It lasted a while longer, but it obviously oh, yeah. couldn't keep it going. But yeah, anywho. God, yeah, I love like all of those those locations. These scenes in this, this movie are just like so great. Um, like much later on in the movie, when they go to the nightclub and they actually go to the Danceteria, which was like this really iconic club in uh, 
in New York that like everybody played at, like, uh, you know, everybody from, you know, big like pop acts, you know, like Duran Duran and obviously Madonna to like Sonic Youth played there, the Beastie Boys. Um, mm. It was just kind of like this really hip spot. And it's funny because, you know, in The Driller Killer, you get to see in, the inside of Max's Kansas City. And likewise, this is the only movie I can think of that, um, you know, you actually see the inside of Danceteria. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, um, and then to call back to the whole like eating with all the shitty rappers and like whatever, apparently Madonna uh, didn't want to gain any weight for this role or whatever. So like all the takes of her eating, as soon as they would caught, she would uh, cut, she would spit it out. So she never swallowed one cheese puff in the whole movie. Yeah, I believe it. Um, also, yeah, I mean, well, we'll get there. But yeah, continue with the plot. And then once we get to the part, I'll be like, OK, there it is. Um, oh, yeah. Well. So you end up having, um, you know, Susan like wandering around, and she also goes to this magic, this magic club that uh, her friend works at. And it's funny because that is a, like, kind of a callback, or you know, it's a reference to the Shock Rivette film from the '70s called Celine and Julie Go Boating, uh, that also deals with uh, these two women that, you know, one is a magician but they kind of like get really entwined in each other's lives and they even kind of swap identities and, uh, you know, have, you know, this really kind of, uh, I don't know, this, this really bizarre interaction, uh, this weird little adventures. And it also, that was also referenced from uh, Bergman's persona. There's this whole kind of like stream of movies that are like coming through where they're dealing with all of these, these mostly women with, uh, you know, shifting identities and going on these, you know, really surreal um, situations. And it's really funny because that's directly out of the, the scene of Julie Go Boating. And it just it seems like a really bizarre and really atmospheric little magic club. It's cool. Yeah, I like this idea a lot. It's really cool. It's like almost like an adult version of Freaky Friday. You also have the thing, too. It's funny. And speaking of other little references in the movie, um, I don't know if you caught when they're in the magic club and they're in the dressing room and Susan, who's just like, you know, whatever, just one of those kind of drifter punk girls is trying to crash at her friend's place. Um, and then she's just trying to finagle a room and there's a uh, cardboard cutout of Colette, uh, Claudette Colbert from it happened one night. And that even has like some, you know, kind of rhyming with situations with this movie as well, as far as, this woman who's, you know, kind of escaping this, you know, life that she had laid out for herself um, randomly ends up with this guy who's maybe from the other side of the tracks and then just chooses a life more exciting. Yeah. Um, there's lots of little things like that in this movie. Which, hey, if you don't subscribe to the Patreon, we do a whole episode on It Happened One Night. So hear us talk about that, whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> commercial over. Um Man, I just wanted I just wanted to like live in this movie for a while. The three movies that we're covering, I feel like well, for obvious reasons, um this is the most fun to live in. I guess like I don't know why this would be a big secret, but to those listening and that haven't the 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 next two episodes haven't come out, might as well just spill the beans on like what to prepare for in case anybody wants wants to watch the movie ahead of time. Oh yeah, well I think the other movies that I would directly pair with this uh, are Something Wild with Jonathan Demme, the Jonathan Demme film with uh, Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels, and then uh, After Hours, Martin Scorsese's film um, from the same year. It's actually made 
immediately after this, um, and a lot of you know the same kind of people cross over. Like you have uh, Roseanne Arquette, um, yeah, Rockets Red Red Glare makes an appearance. There's a lot of you know little things here and there, and then same with the Jonathan Demme film. Like they all kind of they all kind of come at the same material, but in different different ways. Like this is kind of the uh, the female perspective of of this version. Uh, I think it's really closely tied in style to something wild. Um, as far as, you know, just the kind of, uh, the yuppie who just ends up just stumbling into this more exciting world. And then after hours is kind of the, uh, you know, the, the tale of everything that goes wrong. Yeah. What can go wrong will go wrong. It's like the Murphy's. There's no happy ending. Exactly. Which (laughs) you don't want to be in that world, but it's, so much fun to watch. It's kind of like, yeah. basically, they, they remade the movie in some sort of way a couple of years ago with Robert Pattinson called Good Time, where I'm like, oh, oh yeah. this is like After Hours, but like it's way more real. <laughs> um, yeah. But obviously, that movie's been done a hundred times over, and even before After Hours, that's the whole like one night, and it just keeps getting worse. Uh, oh yeah. But yeah, Rosanna Arquette. And Jeff Daniels from Something Wild share something in common where they're both this like these like rich uptight, but not in a bad way, like yuppie people. But you don't hate them. Like they're so likable that you're like forget all the white collar shit and waspy shit that would make you want to wring their neck out if you're sitting next to them at a bar. And uh, yeah, I think that that, that, feel that like... correlates really well with both of those movies. Yeah, I agree, and I think that part of it with those characters is that. Uh... You know, they, they are really, like, they're just really dorky. But you feel that, like, they have that that thing in them. They have that, you know, strict passion in them or that thing that, you know, they're not just as basic as the world they're living in. Um, and so what happens in the their journeys in these movies are they end up finding what that thing is or how, you know, how to express that or, you know, they're able to make changes in their life to accommodate, uh, you know, who they want to be. They actualize themselves. It was such an awesome 80s callback reference to when they're going through, like, oh, she has a diary, and it's like, oh, she also has a book by Dr. Ruth about sex. And you're like, oh, shit, (laughs) Dr. Ruth. And then uh, something about, like, your own best friend, which I'm guessing is, like, a book about masturbation. Like, I'm okay, you're okay. okay. It's like all of those, like... Self-help. Yeah. And I love just... It's um, like Laurie Metcalf's character is so great because she, <laughs> you know, like it's constantly kind of like goading her brother. Like, well, did she have an orgasm? Did you give her an orgasm? Or, you know, and then later on, you know, when they, they think that, you know, she's been prostituting, like, well, is she a lesbian? Mm-hmm. You just don't know. Yeah. Um, Which but it's if- so funny because, yeah, she has like the, yeah. I don't have that kind of relationship with my sister. If she ever asked me that kind of shit, about my wife, I would barf on my feet. <laughs> I would be like, oh, Angela, what are you saying? <laughs> like, oh my God. Has <laughs> she had an orgasm? Jesus Christ. Um, no, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, God. There's like, oh, so again, also like, you have, you realize that Richard Hell has been thrown out of like a window of the, mo- the hotel because people are trying to find these Egyptian earrings. Um, and so there's also like other people that are trying to find Susan. And then at this point, uh, Roseanne Arquette has like the, the jacket, the Jimi Hendrix jacket, and she finds the key and she realizes that, you know, she needs to give this back to 
to Susan. So she puts an ad from a stranger, but then, you know, Susan's boyfriend ends up worrying that it's going to be somebody like trying to, to attack her, trying to find her from whatever thinks she might be in danger because of all the issues going on with uh, her ex. So he calls his brother to try to go check up. And so he's trying to describe Susan and he's like, Oh, she has this crazy jacket that has, you know, pyramid on the back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's just a great, it's just like a fun scene with just him just in there, you know, being the projectionist in this, this kind of shitty grindhouse theater. And it also reminds me back to like a year ago, when we did night of the comet where they have like the, the boyfriend who's the projectionist and the, the kind of like cool sort of grindhouse theater. I don't know. It's just really fun. So then he ends up leaving. He's borrows like, a scooter from like a you know Chinese you know, noodle shop downstairs, and he goes to go find her. But instead, he finds you know Roberta, who's wearing the jacket, but she's being attacked by uh, you know the the dude who's like you know trying to get the earrings back, and then she ends up getting frightened and knocks herself out, and then yes, yeah, she doesn't know who she is, um, and then you just like then have this whole other strain where you know she ends up hanging out with. Aiden Quinn, uh, Des, and his <laughs> fucking place. They go to find the. Uh, Can we talk about that loft for one second? Locker. Oh yeah, and then they end up going back to his loft. Oh my god, that fucking loft! I would kill to live in that place. Even empty, oh, even my- after all the girl went to all the furniture out. Oh, there. I thought it was perfect empty. It's like you had that giant <laughs> yeah. or that giant kung fu kung fu mural that's like the sliding door. You have all the open lights and all the open lighting. And then, I don't know, like, if I can experience New York, the only, you know, if the only thing I can do in New York is eating Chinese Chinese. delivery while drinking a bottle of tequila on a New York rooftop, I'm flying there tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, my God, that whole scene, I'm just like, I want a Chinese so goddamn bad. And then, like, but it's just like, you're on a New York rooftop with a bottle of cheap tequila and, like, the hottest Roseanne Arquette you've ever seen. Even Renee was just, like, kind of like, you. When I mentioned, (laughs) I mentioned something about her and she's like, oh, what? Her? I was just like, Roseanne, of course, Roseanne Arquette. She's like, she looks weird. And I'm like, like, in the best way possible. But yeah, I would love to eat Chinese takeout with 1980 somethings Rosanna Arquette drinking a bottle of tequila on a New York rooftop. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I'm completely with you. Um, and then yeah, and that's the scene where you have John Lurie across the hallway or across the alley, like playing saxophone. Um, it's just like a totally like you know fantasy version of New York. It's so great. Yeah, and I love it for that. I want to make it a reality version for me of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and that's right. And then right after this, you have the second, well, I, you know, um, kind of allusion to what happened one night when they are spending the night. But then they have the little screen between them, oh, and then the he walls kind of, of like, Jericho. You know, yeah, the wall of Jericho. And then at one point, like she's changing, he you know sees her, whatever, putting her top on or putting on her like sparkly dress. There's a lot of great clothes in this movie. There's a lot of uh, sparkly, mm-hmm. you know, sheer netting. Yeah, everything's kind of see-through and sparkly well that uh jacket that madonna steals from rosanna arquette's wardrobe that sequins black whatever my sister wore like something very very close to that when she was running for miss palmdale in the early 90s (laughs) oh i love it where they had it was worn by the mayor and then it was worn by the mayor palmdale it's a callback to one of our (laughs) earlier episodes but uh yeah 
the the Miss Palmdale thing. I remember my sister running for it because I'd have to go to her practices because I was in elementary school at the time, and I just had to go and like hang out, watch her do her thing. And yeah, she had that like sequence thing that she wore, but then also for like the swimsuit portion, so fucking weird. The swimsuit portion of Miss Palmdale, she wore like. Uh, an American flag onesie with uh, like super like '90s porn star Bud Light girl kind of <laughs> like whatever. Oh yeah. And she had like the American flags, and she would like walk down in heels to Neil Diamond's "Coming to America." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I was like, <sighs> she was second runner know. up. If if anybody want to know, she was second runner up. So, Why was that not? preserved on vhs i it should be on blu-ray i know it should be <laughs> just 4k restoration yeah jesus christ the 1992 miss palmdale pageant <laughs> just my sister and like just bangs for days and bushy ass eyebrows <laughs> all right uh, oh bangs for days sounds I gross it. i mean like the hair that comes down your eyebrows not well maybe she did too oh, yeah. i wasn't in the room for that let's just say that Desperately seeking Susan. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, they, they, like, what else is going on? They uh, yeah, kind of keep going back and forth, like the, the Magic Club, and then they, you know, uh, just kind of keep, like, missing each other. But then the husband, uh, Gary, ends up, he's sees, like, the maid carrying the bag for the, the, the jacket. So he figures out where the you know where she bought it, and he goes down to the club. But then that person's, you know, they've already ran to Madonna. They end up like hooking Madonna and uh, and Gary up, so they can try to find find Roberta. And then that's when like he ends up going to dance Ateria, and he's just like the biggest dork. Oh yeah. Uh, so how did you find me? It's like wild guess. <laughs> I know. And I love freeloading Madonna when she goes to his house and just like drinks all of his wine, hangs out by the <laughs> yeah. pool, and just steals his or not even steals, just takes his car. They smoke weed and they have that, which I'm very jealous of that uh, coffee table that has the holder that has pretzels, Reese's oh, pieces, yeah. and I can't remember the third item. And you're like, that's a snack right there. I know it's so great. Well, that whole scene too. Yeah, she takes over the house, and then I love. There's that scene. It's once um, she also kind of puts everything together because she sees on the news that you know the guy, her ex, Richard Hell, like how he had you know robbed all these you know Egyptian artifacts, and uh, and so she kind of puts everything together. But she finds a diary. But when they come home and find her there. She's wearing a combination of his and her underwear mm -hmm. that she's compo composed into an outfit. And then she leaves and she goes back into the city. Like when she sees the triplets, or those three stra the yeah. identical strangers, she's wearing just like his wife beater, his um, button up like, shirt. Uh, button up shirt, and then his boxer shorts. And then, but she has her lace daughter garter belt. <laughs> yeah. And so like, this is amazing. She's truly only showing like 5% of her body. You can only see like a portion of her thigh. The rest is covered up. It's not very revealing, but it's the most like revealing outfit I've ever seen at the same time. It's like yeah. crossing so many boundaries in the good way where you're like, holy moly. It's funny when I get on tiffs like this, like I am with, I didn't think I was going to get on it with this, but like 
I, I never want to listen to the playback, especially the last episode that we did on the Franco files, because I'm like, I need to be hosed <laughs> down after watching these movies, apparently, because I like turn into such a horn dog. Like, I'm just like, I'm just like, can you believe what she I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is going to be like exhibit A in my like divorce court. Uh, <laughs> but, um, thankfully, my wife doesn't listen to this. <laughs> she doesn't even listen to me when we're not on the podcast. Um, but one of my favorite things from this movie is when Rosanna Arquette gets arrested by the cops. So they just think she's a prostitute, and they shove her in the back of the cab with that other call girl. And oh, she, she just because she's working in the magic show and she has her birds with her. Exactly. It's like, how do you use the birds? <laughs> I started dying. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> It's great because just, they just leave it at that. They just leave it at that. <laughs> it's, it's so great. Uh, uh, probably the biggest heartbreaking uh, scene is when um, Rosanna Arquette goes back to the loft with um, the dude Dex. Dex? Dex? Yeah, De- yeah, it's, it's Des, Des, Des. I don't know. Yeah, Des, Des bails yeah. her out, and they go back to the loft, and she's trying to explain to him, like, I'm not who you think I am. And then they go into the room, and all of his reels are unreeled, and there's just celluloid film all over the loft. I was like, yeah. Oh no! <laughs> what? I know it's like that's why that film we watched in the Hollywood looks like that exactly <laughs> for real. It's like he was he was part of some like New York slop house. Like some girl, oh, yeah. some fight, some girlfriend, some boyfriend bullshit just un- unraveled everything onto their living room, stomped on it. Well, and that also reminds me of uh, Brian De Palma's Blowout, uh, where he like comes, you know, when uh, John Travolta comes, he realizes that all of his tapes have been erased, mm-hmm. and it's just like his his thing is just like all the tapes are everywhere. It's oh, just it's like brutal. Um, and like yeah, the conversation with Gene Hackman when they like yeah. just fuck up all his shit, and then obviously with Blow Up to the original version, uh, the English movie that we just recently watched at the Hollywood Theater. Shout yeah. out, uh, yeah, with all of his film that he developed, it's just all gone. You're just like, oh, oh, so much time and energy. Like yeah. I just like put myself in that own position. Like oh, they took everything away. <laughs> like uh, right. terrible, terrible. But no, it's true. Yep. Just like that's, and then it's. Yeah, their whole thing is so funny because you know he still thinks that she is his brother's girlfriend, um, but they're all kind of freaks too, <laughs> you know. Like even like her, his brother, like you know he he puts his personal ad up to see Susan, and literally he sees her for like maybe five minutes, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm taking off. I'll see you again some other time." Yeah, what? They're just all you know doing their own thing. They're all like self-centered people. But they all have like oh, yeah. they all have like good hearts. They're like you know they're you're in your twenties. You're just trying to get you on whatever track you think you need to be on, and like you want people to be in your lane, but also get out of my way when I need to like do my own thing. Um, yeah. yeah, to be young. Uh, <laughs> the but yeah, but there's obviously like this you know attraction between the two of them that uh, you know it's just getting getting crazy and then she's trying to yeah she's trying to tell him who she is but he just thinks that she's like just some crazy bitch he's like look i don't even know what you're talking about you're just like you're causing all this trouble and you know you've uh you know now my like films are getting fucked up and you know i don't know it's crazy but then there's 
it does get kind of confusing. They had so many of the meetups, but then Madonna, because she kind of figures out, you know, what's going on. So she sets up another meetup at the Magic Club, and it's kind of the scene that brings all of the characters together because the other brother, her, you know, her Susan's boyfriend, shows up, and the two brothers fight over. Her. Um, and they're obviously they're talking about different women, but they, you know, they still think that the same girl, Susan. And they're going to go meet up because they see the ad. And then you have Gary and his sister. And then, uh, and then yeah, she's dating um, fucking what's his name, uh, Stephen Wright. And they all like show up at the the Magic Club. And then you also have um, the other the thug. This is trying to, to get at her. And then um, Rosanna Kett is like actually like performing in the show. And then everybody has to like figure out like you know which this which is the Susan. And then everything kind of like turns into chaos. <laughs> Madonna gets abducted. Yeah, that whole like stolen. that whole the whole powwow when they're you know you know they're all going to meet at the Magic Club at the end of the movie, and then just I love when all that stuff spills out. That's my favorite part of like those movies where it's like, oh, it's all going to be just like gumbo, <laughs> like just throw it all oh, into yeah. a pot and then watch. You know, it's going to taste wonderful. Yeah, and um. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't really like divert too much because like, oh, is there gonna be some like crazy chase where they're doing this and then and they're like, Ugh, but it's like not really like that at all. It's like Madonna's like getting fucked on like a <laughs> like a pinball machine, and that guy's even like nice legs to the dude that's got his pants down, and then like oh, yeah. basically he just gets a bottle broken over his head, and that's the end of it. And you're just like, okay, cool. Like we don't need that whole roundabout. Like, oh, he's down the hall. Like, oh, he turned left. And then he just, it just doesn't work in comedy or whatever this movie you want to classify it as. Uh, yeah, so totally. I'm glad they just cut right to the chase and like, beep, bop, boop. Everything's back. The guy's arrested. And then, woo. The girls solve the problem. And then the, the correct lovers all, mm-hmm. all pair off appropriately. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's... And then it's, yeah. And they yeah. just wrap it all up, and this is great. And the girls return the earrings, and then they're in the paper, and it's like, wow, they're in the paper that they've been reading. All you know, you're just like, oh. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, it's cute. It's I love that little snapshot of the '80s in New York City, and watching as much films as we do, and seeing all these like character actors and musicians and whoever you want to say like throughout the film is just kind of a fun way and. Even if you're like yeah. not a fan of either of those, and you just like fashion, this movie's hilarious to watch too. Uh, oh yeah, it's just cool. Like especially when you think about, for me, like uh, you know, since like that snapshot, but even the trajectory that you know she took, like Susan Seidelman, like she definitely was going for the much more like mainstream, uh, you know, kind of light comedy route. And I think it's just it's it's cool because you know Jim Jarmusch who I think is very similar, kind of came at the same time. Like, he started going in such a totally different direction and really kind of kept in that, like, indie thing where, you know, her, you know, some of her later stuff, like uh, She Devils, my other favorite. I haven't seen that in years, which is funny because it has Roseanne in it. Oh. Um, it's Roseanne and, like, Meryl Streep. But, yeah, that what? That's a real movie? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't oh, yeah, it's so good. It has Ed Bigley Jr. And it's it's so crazy. Like, Roseanne, uh, Roseanne Barr is the, like, kind of... Uh, the wife of Bigley Jr. and he kind of ditches her to be with uh, Meryl Streep, but then Ro- Roseanne Barr just turns into like a crazy monster. It's great. Wow, the <laughs> the role she was born to play. Exactly. 
Um, yeah, this, the director that did Desperately Seeking Susan also went on to do some work with Sex in the City. So yeah, she like a pilot episode. Oh, okay. So that's that was her deal. Okay, I yeah, saw she kind it. Of, like set that up. Oh wow, shit. Well, wow, what an iconic show to well, set. Well, I mean, up. I think she. I mean, I think she didn't write it or anything, but she kind of like set the template, you know, and like the style. Mm-hmm, yeah, they, you know, carried forward. It's so. kind of like uh, with you know a new HBO show now. Um, Oh, succession, how uh, Adam McKay, as other podcasts, has referred to him as dumb Oliver Stone. The the director <laughs> you love the most. <laughs> the, uh, he, he did the pilot episode to Succession, and it's got its own style to it. But he only did the pilot, and everybody has followed that template since. Which I really enjoy oh, the show, but I also really enjoy Adam McKay. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's to your liking. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, that wraps it up for Desperately Seeking yeah. Susan. Since the people know how the rest of the series is going to fold over, what are we doing next? Is it better to go... Uh, we're going we're gonna to go to something wild next. I knew it. Okay, I was like, this would be, yeah. this would be good if it would be uh, like a one-two punch with something wild. So I'm glad that's the, the route you want to go. I think it would be awesome just to end, end it with After Hours, just the hangover. Just the, uh, yeah. just the reality bites version yeah after hours is exactly what it is and then also i think when you by the time you see this in the latest this, then you see the people that come back for after hours they were in des- desperately seeking season and the way the the context changes it gets it's great yes <laughs> and it's gonna be really cool to talk about um not just something wild that jonathan jonathan demi directed but i i feel like we're gonna touch on Stop Making Sense and Science of the Lambs too, because how could you not? Oh, yeah. If we're going to be talking about Jonathan Demi, it's like, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. He, he directed... And the, Married to the Mob. Oh, yeah. He directed, like, the best concert film ever, or at least one of. And then, you know, he directed... Oh, yeah. Something Wild is Great. He directed, like, the best, whatever you want to call it, thriller ever. Maybe one of the best horror movies ever, because it got nominated and won almost all the Academy Awards in the top five if you want to go off that route. Yeah. If you want to, you know, make marks for that. Anywho, thanks for listening. Uh, with quite a diversion from the Franco Files, but that's how we work at Psychotronic Cast. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Derek for coming up with this awesome idea for this series. I mean, who else does a, what is it called? <laughs> Yuppie Nightmare series? I mean, come Yuppie on. Yuppie Nightmares. Yuppie Nightmares. Like, how great is that? We'll be back <laughs> soon. So until then, let's keep it purely casual. All right. Bye.